podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Tuesday, May the 30th. We are almost in June. It was Christmas last week, but we're almost in June. The good weather has arrived, though, so my mood is improved, although Liverpool have done their damnedest to ruin it with basically everything that they do these days. Um, But I don't care about them today. Today, we are going to go around the leagues We're going to have a look at what happened in the League One and League Two playoffs. We'll have a look at the other major European leagues and how they ended up or how they sit going into their final day. And after the break, then we're going to have a look to the Leeds and Leicester squads. And what I would do if given the power to make decisions. Um, And then we'll have just the usual gossip to finish. So, Let us start with the League One playoff final 
where Sheffield Wednesday beat Barnsley 1-0. Adam Phillips was sent off for one of the most outrageous tackles I've seen since the 1990s in the 49th minute. And yet Barnsley managed to hang on and hang on and hang on. And just as it seemed, they'd managed to get the game to penalties. Josh Windass steps up and scores in the 123rd minute to send Sheffield Wednesday up into the championship. Great for Sheffield Wednesday. Great for the city of Sheffield this season. Both clubs have been promoted. United, obviously, into the Premier League. Wednesday into the championship. Heartbreaking for Barnsley. And Adam Phillips is going to have a lot of regrets for a long time. Um, One interesting little gambit on the Josh Windass goal. He is, of course, the son of former Premier League striker Dean Windass, who was somewhat of a journeyman through his career. Uh, Hull, Aberdeen, Oxford, Bradford, Middlesbrough, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, Sheffield United again, Bradford again, Hull, Oldham, Darlington, and then he finished up playing for Scarborough and AFC Walkington. Um, He scored, I believe, 15 years ago. He was. It was the 24th of May, 2008. He scored a goal in a playoff final, a championship playoff final, to give Hull promotion into the Premier League. And 15 years later, his son scores for one of his many former clubs to give them promotion in a playoff final. So that's a very cool story. And uh, I'd say Josh Windass a decent player. Um, not quite the player his dad was, I'd say. More technically gifted, but not quite as good. But congrats to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, they're a club that when I was growing up, they were just always in the top flight. Uh, one of my closest friends growing up was a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. Uh, the reason being that he was... As a, as a child trying to decide who he wanted to support. He made a decision as a very young person that he did not want to support one of the big clubs. He didn't want to support Liverpool. He didn't want to support United. Uh, he didn't want to support Arsenal. His dad wasn't really a football fan. His family were more into GAA. So he didn't have that sort of, you know, fanhood passed down from a parent. So what he did was he picked up one of the Sunday newspapers and looked down at who had the lowest attendance for a home game, and it was Sheffield Wednesday. Whatever weekend it was, they had the lowest home attendance in the Premier League, and that's why he decided to support them. And he supported them all through his childhood, his teenage years, into his 20s. Now, I haven't seen him in quite a long time because obviously you grow up, you move away. And uh, I don't know if he still follows them closely, but he certainly used to. And um, yeah, yeah, shout out Moose, the uh, the only Sheffield Wednesday fan in Navan, to my knowledge. Um, into the League Two playoff final, Carlisle won... Stockport won. 
A John James Alexander Mealish own goal that put Stockport one up on 34 minutes. And they held out and held out and held out until the 84th minute when Omari Patrick equalised for Carlisle. The game went to penalties. Evans, uh, Lemon Hay Evans scored for Stockport. Dennis scored for Carlisle. Rydal missed for Stockport. Mealish made up for his own goal, or Mellish maybe, made up for his own goal by scoring to put Carlisle 2-1 up. Hippolyte scored, Edmondson scored, Stretton scored, Moxon scored, Will Collar scored. It was 4-4. Tyler Charter stepped up, promotion on the line. He put his penalty away. And Carlisle United will play in League One next season. So congrats to them on a very successful season. Let's move to Syria. We go into the final day with very little on the agenda other than the last relegation spot and the decision of which team plays in the Europa League and which plays in the Conference League. So this past weekend, Sampdoria 2, Sassuolo 2, Salonatana 3, Udinese 2, Spezia 0, Torino 4, Fiorentina 2, Roma 1, Inter 3, Atalanta 2, Verona 1, Empoli 1, Bologna 2, Napoli 2, Monza 0, Lecce 1. That win ensured that Lecce will be in Serie A next season. Lazio 3, Cremonese 2. And in the big game of the weekend, Milan 0, sorry, Juventus 0, Milan 1. Uh, and Olivier Giroud goal, the difference there. So this weekend... It is Sassuolo Fiorentina, Torino versus Inter, Cremonese Salonatana, Empoli Lazio, Napoli Sampdoria, Atalanta Monza, Udinese Juventus, Lecce Bologna, Milan Verona, and Roma Spezia. The last five of which all kick off at 8pm on Sunday night. The rest are spread across Friday, Saturday and early Sunday because there's nothing riding on those games. These five games all have something to play for. So Napoli have won the title by a mile. We know that. We've known that for for months that they were going to win. Lazio currently second, Inter currently third and Milan currently fourth. They're all guaranteed Champions League football for next season. Atalanta, Roma and Juventus are all guaranteed European football for next season. It's just a matter of who's in which competition. So as things stand, it's Atalanta and Roma in the Europa League and Juventus in the Conference League. There are two points between Atalanta and Juventus. So Juve, with a win, could get Europa League football if the other two teams fail to win because Juve have the better goal difference. Roma, all eyes for them are on the the Europa League final for this season. And their league form has fallen off a cliff because they've been resting players and rotating and just focused in on, on the Sevilla game. I don't think Mourinho would care if they're in, if they finish seventh, as long as they win that Europa Conference League game. Um, if they win the Conference League, I'm not sure what that means in terms of Does another team then get into Europe? 
I genuinely don't know if it means another team gets into Europe. So someone smarter will have to answer that question. At the bottom then, Sampdoria are gone, Cremonese are gone. It's between Verona and Spezia. They're both sitting on 31 points. It's head-to-head in Syria, to my knowledge. So at the moment, Spezia have the head-to-head advantage against Verona. So they need to match Verona's result. If Verona win, they need to win. If it's a draw, they need to draw. Or they can afford to draw. If it's a defeat, they can afford to stay to, to lose and they'll still stay up. So that's where we stand right now. Um, I'm hopeful that Spezia will stay up because having gone through their squads earlier with Carl Matchett, I'm hopeful that players like Ethan Ampadu and stuff don't get relegated because I quite like him. Uh, we'll move on to League 1. Uh, this past weekend, we had a full round of games. Strasbourg won, Paris Saint-Germain won, Lyon 3, Reims 0, Montpellier 2, Nice 3, Rennes 2, Monaco 0, Toulouse 1, Auxerre 1, Marseille 1, Brest 2, Lens 3, Dzeko 0, Angers 3, Troyes 1, Lille 2, Nantes 1, Clermont Foot 2, Laurent 0. Title is over. PSG have once again been crowned champions of France. Uh, Lens will finish second and Marseille will finish third. That is the Champions League spots confirmed. Um, again, there's a battle for Europa League versus Conference League. Lille, Rennes and Monaco, fourth, fifth and sixth respectively. Only one point separating them. Lille have the point advantage. Rennes have a goal difference advantage and it is goal difference in France. So they've got the goal difference advantage over Monaco. It looks like all three of them will be in Europe next season, though, unless I'm miscalculating something. Angers, Ejeko and Troy have all been relegated. It is down to Auxerre or Nantes who will go in the final day. And in the final day fixtures, Reims play Montpellier, Nice play Lyon, PSG play Clermont Foot, Troyes play Lille, Laurent play Strasbourg, Brest play Rennes, Monaco play Toulouse. And then the two games that actually really matter to stay in the division Auxerre play Len. Now, they've got nothing to play for, Lens. They're guaranteed second place. So maybe that plays into Auxerre's hands. The game is at home for Auxerre as well. Nantes are, almost, are also home, and they play Angers, who are definitely finishing bottom. So they've got the easier game. They've also got a goal difference advantage. So if they can win and Auxerre fail to win, Nantes will stay up. In La Liga, Barcelona are champions. Real Madrid are second. Atletico Madrid third. Real Sociedad fourth. That's likely how it will finish. Real and Atleti are one point separating them. Atleti could still jump them, but I I don't see it as likely. Um, Actually, I should do last weekend's games first, shouldn't I? Sevilla won Real two. Valencia two. Espanyol two. Cadiz won Celta Vigo nil, Athletic Club de Bilbao nil, Elche one, Girona one, Real Betis two, Hitafe two, Osasuna one, Barcelona, excuse me, Barcelona three, Mallorca nil, Atletico Madrid two, Real Sociedad one, 
Almeria nil via the lid nil and Rio Vecano two via Real one. Uh, so again, Barcelona, Real, Atleti, and Real Sociedad. Uh, via Real will be in the Europa League. Real Betis will be in the Europa League, and I think Osasuna will be in the Conference League. Uh, Osasuna or Bilbao, they're on 50 points each. But again, it's head-to-head, and Osasuna do have the advantage there. At the bottom, Elche are gone, Espanyol are gone. Valladolid have 39 points. Celta Vigo and Almeria have 40 points. Valencia, Hitafe, and Cadiz all have 41 points. So any of them could go. That's six teams that could go down, depending on how results go. Goal difference is not a factor here. Again, it is on head-to-head. There's many connotations, far too many to get into. But as things stand, via the little team in the relegation zone, Carl Matcha thinks that uh, Celta Vigo are the most likely to go, given the fixtures. Uh, this weekend, Mallorca play Rayo Vallecano. Real Sociedad plays Sevilla. Villarreal play Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid play Athletic Club de Bilbao. Osasuna play Girona. So Osasuna definitely have the advantage there over Bilbao. Assuming that's the final spot in Europe. Uh, Real Betis play Valencia. That's a really tough game for Valencia. Celta Vigo play Barca. That's very tough. Now, Barca don't have anything to play for, so who knows? Espanyol play Almeria. So Espanyol are already gone. Almeria should get something there. Elche play Cadiz. Elche are already gone, so Cadiz should get something. Valladolid play Hitafe. If Valladolid win, I, I do think Carl's going to be right, and I think it's probably going to be Celta Vigo. But it wouldn't surprise me if Valladolid got a win, if Celta Vigo got a draw and Almeria won, which could leave Valencia going down. Now, I don't know it would leave... Valencia versus Celta Vigo on the head-to-head. So let's have a look and see how that would play out uh, matches. Okay, they beat Celta Vigo 3-0. And... They beat them both times. So Valencia would have the advantage over Celta Vigo. So that would, yeah, that would send Celta Vigo down. Uh, in Portugal, it's all over. Rio Ave 2, Familiquiao 2, Vesula 1, Sporting 2, Gil Vicente 1, Casapia 0, Estorel Preya 3, Maritimo 1, Chavez 1, Boa Vista 4, Porto Menens 0, Aroca 2, Braga 3, Pacos Ferreira 0, Porto 3, Vitoria 0, and Benfica 3, Santa Clara 0. Benfica win the title, two points clear of Porto. Braga will take the third spot in the Champions League. Sporting will be in the Europa League, and I think Aruca will be in the Conference League, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then it's Vitoria, Chavez, Familicao, Bovista, Casapia, Vesela, Rio Ave, Gil Vicente, Estrel Preya, Porto Menins. I think I'm right in saying Maritimo go into a relegation playoff. Pacos Ferreira and Santa Clara are both down. I think. I could be wrong. Uh, The Scottish Premiership, it ended at the weekend as well. 
Hearts 1, Hibernian 1. St Mirren nil, Rangers 3. Livingston 2. Sorry, St Johnston 2, Livingston nil. Motherwell 3, Dundee United 2. Kilmarnock 3, Ross County 1. And Celtic 5, Aberdeen nil. So Celtic win the league. 99 points from their 38 games. Seven points clear of Rangers, who are 35 points clear of Aberdeen. So Aberdeen will be in Europe next season. I don't know if Celtic gets a fourth spot for the Conference League. Let me have a look. Scottish Premiership. Probably check this first, shouldn't I? Uh, yes, Hearts will be in the Europa Conference League. They don't actually get a Europa League spot. They get two Conference League spots. So Aberdeen and Hearts will both be in the Conference League next season. Uh, so congrats to them on that. Um, it's obviously been a long season for both. They never sniffed, obviously, the, the top two. Uh, Rangers will be in the third qualifying round of the Champions League. And Celtic will be in the group stage of the Champions League. Uh, Dundee United relegated and Ross County go into the relegation playoff. Uh, I should just check Portugal, though, as I mentioned it. Uh, Yes, two go down and one goes into the relegation playoff. And Portugal actually gets two Conference League teams. Aroca and Vitoria de Gimeres will both play Europa Conference League football next year, sporting in the um, Europa League and Braga, Benfica and Porto in the Champions League. Braga will have to get through a qualifying round to get in. So in all likelihood, they might end up in the Europa League. Um, And just to be sure with France, it is... Yeah, Lille go into the Europa League, Rennes go into the Conference League. So Monaco, as things stand, would miss out on Europe, um, which would be a big blow for them. Toulouse will be in the Europa League because of the uh, the Cup. Marseille have to get through a qualifier there as well. And finally, the Bundesliga. So, what a bizarre final day. Uh, Bochum 3, Leverkusen 0. Leverkusen had Amin Adli sent off on 8 minutes and capitulated. Union Berlin 1, Werder Bremen 0. Wolfsburg 1, Hertha Berlin 2. RB Leipzig 4, Schalke 2. Eintracht Frankfurt 2, Freiburg 1. Borussia Mönchengladbach 2, Augsburg 0. Stuttgart 1, Hoffenheim 1. Cologne 1, Bayern Munich 2, and Dortmund 2, Mainz 2. All Dortmund had to do was win, and they were guaranteed the title. They went 1-0 down through an Andreas Hench Olsen header on 15 minutes. Then Then Dortmund missed a penalty, one of the worst penalties you'll ever see from Sebastian Haller. Then they were denied a Stonewall second penalty. And then Mines scored again on 24 minutes. And then Dortmund just huffed and puffed and put in a million crap crosses, 
and couldn't get anything going. On 69 minutes, Rafael Guerrero managed to get one back. And they huffed and puffed and put in another million crap crosses. On 96 minutes, Nicolas Sula managed to get them level. But there was no time left and they couldn't find a third goal. They did have a moment where they thought they were going to win the title. Byron had gone one up through Kingsley Coleman on eight minutes, but on 81 minutes, Dejan Lubicic, Lubicic equalised. And it looked like Cologne were going to hang on and their points would have been enough to give Dortmund the title, despite the fact that Dortmund had bottled it. But Jamal Musiala with a gorgeous touch, turn and finish on 80, 89 minutes gave Bayern their 11th title in a row. And Bayern's answer to that was to sack Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salahamazic immediately after the game. Uh, Brazo needed to go. I was a little bit surprised that Kahn went, but I think he'd enabled Brazo to the point where they just had to make the decision. Uh, the league table ends with Bayern top winning the league on goal difference from Dortmund, a plus 15 advantage. Dortmund won't get a better chance. Bayern were dreadful this season. But Dortmund lost seven games. If you lose seven games in a 34-game season, you don't deserve to win the league. Leipzig third, Union Berlin fourth, Freiburg fifth. They'll play Europa League. Leverkusen, despite getting beaten on the final day, stumble into the Conference League. Eintracht Frankfurt are also going to be in the Conference League, but they have a German Cup final still to play. If Eintracht win, they will go into the Europa League and Leverkusen will play in the Conference League. If Leipzig win that final... Leverkusen will go into the Europa League and Eintracht will be in the Conference League because the place will revert to the league. So Leverkusen would get it over Eintracht. But either way, Eintracht are going to be in Europe next year, as are Leverkusen, and fair play to them. Freiburg will be in the group stage. Um, Whoever gets the cup spot will be in the group stage and the Conference League is a playoff round. Um... Hertha Berlin were relegated, we knew that. Schalke have been relegated and Stuttgart will play in the relegation playoff. And that is where those leagues stand. Um, so we might as well take one last look at the Eredivisie while we're moseying along. Um, final day was obviously at the weekend. Uh, 23 Ajax won a disastrous campaign comes to a bad end for Ajax uh, Edwin van der Sar will leave as the as managing director or whatever his role was uh, Feyenoord nil, Vitas Arnhem won Fortuna Sittard won NEC won Cambour 4 RKC Walwick nil. Azel Alkmaar won PSV Eindhoven 2 Volendam 3 Excelsior 2 Groningen nil, Sparta Rotterdam five, Heronveen two, Go Ahead Eagles nil, Utrecht three, FC Emmen two. Um, so how their league works, which is slightly different, is that there is no 
automatic qualification to the Europa League. I believe that's how they're doing it. Yeah. Right, well, I'm actually kind of wrong. Feyenoord win the league. They're top. They're in the Champions League group stage. PSV finish second. They'll go Champions League qualifiers. Ajax go into the playoff round for the Europa League. AZ Alkmaar are in the Conference League third qualifying round. And then four teams will fight it out for the, the second Conference League spot. So Heronveen will play Twente in a two-legged playoff, while Utrecht play Sparta Rotterdam in a two-legged playoff. And then the winner of those two-legged playoff games will play a two-legged final. So four more games potentially for two of these clubs, which is, is kind of fun. It gives the season a bit more oomph to it. Uh, Groningen down, Cambor down, and Emmen into the relegation playoffs. Um, let me quickly have a look at something else. Du, du, du. Let's go back to Italy for a quick second. Let's jump into Serie B. And we can confirm that um, Frosinone are promoted as champions of Serie B. Genoa are promoted as runners-up. There is a playoffs to join them. And how that works is Cagliari, Sud Tirol, Regina and Venezia are in the playoff preliminary round. That's over now. Cagliari beat Venezia. Sud Tirol beat Regina. Cagliari will play Parma and Sud Tirol will play um, Bari in two-legged playoff semifinals. And then the winners will play a two-legged final. So lots of fun to be had still in Serie B. Uh, If we go to Spain and we take a look at the Secunda division. Granada are up, Las Palmas are up and the playoffs... Levante, Alves, Alves, Ibar, and Albacete. Levante will play Albacete. Alves will play Ibar. I think they're just one-legged games. I don't think they do two-legged there. And obviously the winner will take on each other in the final. Um, If we move to Germany, to the second Bundesliga. See who's coming up to feature in the top flight. Heidenheim, Heidenheim, Heidenheim. They've been promoted as champions. Um, Darmstadt are up as runners-up and Hamburg will play Stuttgart in the relegation slash promotion playoff. So that's two giant clubs going head-to-head for the last spot in next year's uh, Bundesliga. And while we're doing this, we might as well just stop by France one last time 
and see who's coming up into the top flight. Le Havre are top. Um, Mets are second. Bordeaux are third. It will be two of those three. One game left. Le Havre are three points clear of Mets and Bordeaux. Mets have a better goal difference than Bordeaux. Uh, Le Havre will play Amiens away. Amiens finished... 12th, you would fancy Le Havre to win that. Uh, Bordeaux. Let's see, let me get the fixtures up properly. Bordeaux will play Rodez and Metz will play Bastia. Bastia, definitely the toughest of the three opponents. Rodez probably the easiest, so Mets probably at a disadvantage there with the hardest game left. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That is all of Europe conquered. We'll go to break. When we come back, we're going to look at Leeds, we're going to look at Leicester and what I think they should do this summer, including managerial appointments. Guy has provided me with some managerial odds from the bookmakers for Leeds. Uh, there's no Leicester odds knocking around, even though Dean Smith definitely has a contract till the end of the season. Maybe they keep him. I, I I wouldn't if I was them, but we'll talk about it after the break. We've also got odds for Spurs and for Crystal Palace. So we'll have a chat on them in a sec. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, let us begin with Leeds United, who finished 19th and were relegated with a whimper, walloped 4-1 at home by Spurs, as Big Sam sent out a team that had no ambition from the start. Um, Leeds went through four different managers this season. Jesse Marsh, Michael Scubala, Javi Gracia, and Big Sam. And their season was fairly catastrophic. Uh, They began with some promise. They beat Wolves on the opening day. Then they drew with Southampton away. Game they should have won, having gone 2-0 up. But then they beat Chelsea 3-0. And Jesse Marsh's era seemed to be kicking off with, you know, real purpose. And then things started to fall apart. They lost to Brighton, drew with Everton, got hammered by Brentford, drew with Villa, then lost four in a row. Palace, Arsenal, Leicester and Fulham all beat them. Then they beat Liverpool, then they beat Bournemouth, and it looked like they might have righted the ship, but then another disastrous run came. Lost to Spurs, lost to City, drew at Newcastle, drew at West Ham, lost to Villa, drew at Brentford, lost to Forest, drew at United, lost to Manchester United, and lost to Everton. And that was the end of Jesse Marsh. He was sacked um, on the 6th of February after the Nottingham Forest loss. Uh, Scubala took over. Uh, his stint was three games. They didn't win any of them. They brought in Gracia. They won their first game. They beat Southampton. Then they lost away to Chelsea. Drew with Brighton, which was a good result. Went and beat Wolves away. 
hammered by Arsenal, beat Nottingham Forests, and then the rot set in again. And in their last nine games, they lost seven. Palace hammered them, Liverpool hammered them, Fulham beat them, Leicester beat them, Bournemouth beat them. Then they decided to, I don't know, have a stroke or something, and they appointed Large Sam, lost to City, drew at Newcastle, lost to West Ham, and lost to Spurs. And the manner of those last two defeats is what will be really disappointing for everybody concerned. They went out of the FA Cup in the fifth round. They went out of the EFL Cup in the third round. Um, Last summer, there'd been some significant changes to the playing staff. The two best players, Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, left. Fair to say, neither transfer really worked out for either player. They did both win league titles. uh, Phillips with City, Rafinha with Barca. But neither really won over the fan bases, and there's already rumours linking both with moves away. They brought in Brendan Aronson, Rasmus Christensen, Mark Roca, Darko Giabi, Tyler Adams, Luis Sinistera, Sonny Perkins, Joel Robles and Wilfred Nonto last summer. That is good recruitment. You just didn't bring in the centre-back you badly needed. In January, they did bring in a centre-back. They brought in Max Wober. They also brought in Diego Montero, a young centre-back from Servette. And they spent big money bringing in Jorginho Ruta from Hoffenheim. It's fair to say that there's a lot of talent in that group. The only one that really, really worked out was Tyler Adams. Mark Rocker was good, but he was inconsistent. Aronson flashed immense talent, but was inconsistent. I thought Christensen was pretty good through the season, but somehow found himself sitting on the bench and Luke Ayling was playing, which was just bizarre. Uh, Sinistera's season was wrecked with a couple of injuries. Nanto, they were just careful in his development, which is understandable. Wober was hit and miss when he came in. Ruter, they didn't seem to have a real plan for. And the others didn't feature a whole lot, Bar Robles coming in under Sam for the last four games. I look at this squad and I see a lot of talent. I see a squad that could easily bounce back up next season if they can keep hold of a couple of players. Now, I would rush to sell Ilan Melier. If someone was foolish enough to give me $25 million for him, I would take it in a heartbeat. Luke Ayling signed a new contract, I believe, a couple of months ago. I'd have been running him out the door as well. I would personally escort Junior Firpo back to Spain and ensure that he didn't follow me home. Adam Forshaw would be moving on. I'd like to keep Robin Cock. I think he's a good centre-back. He's been miscast as a midfielder in recent weeks by Sam, which was interesting. Uh, Liam Cooper is another I'd look to move on. Aronson, you definitely want to keep. Roca, I think, is is too good to go down, and I think he's too high profile to go down, so you probably lose him. I'd want to keep Bamford. I definitely want to keep Somerville. I'd like to keep Harrison, but I, I assume he won't go down. So you sell Harrison, you get good money for him. I think him and Roca can bring in decent money. I would beg Tyler Adams to stay. I'd get down on my hands and knees and beg him to stay because I think he would be vital in trying to come back up. Diego Loriente was loaned out to Roma midway through the season for reasons that remain unclear. They have an option to buy. I don't know if they'll take it up. If they wouldn't, I'd try and get him to stay, but you'd probably just sell him 
because he should have some value. You might get 10 or 12 million for him. Uh, Sonny Perkins and Darko Gabby, you would want to keep. Rodrigo, you would sell. Daniel James in the championship, I think you'd keep. Pascal Struyck, I think you'd want to keep. Robles, you might as well keep as a backup keeper. Sinistera, I would want to keep. Ruter, I would want to keep. Christensen, I would want to keep. Weston McKenney arrived in on loan in January. Very hit and miss form-wise. You'd move off that because I think it's a 30 million uh, buy option. And I don't think he'd want to join a championship club anyway. Uh, Wilfred Nanto, you would definitely want to keep. Gelhard, you'd want to keep. Held, you'd want to keep. Drama, you'd want to keep. Bober, I think, will stay. Greenwood, you'd want to keep. And Matteo Joseph, who played a few games here and there, is a good one to keep in the squad. What you'd need to do in the summer is go out and buy a goalkeeper, a starting goalkeeper. You do have a talented young goalkeeper at the club in the, uh, where's he from? Norway. Young Norwegian keeper that they brought in, whose name escapes me, Christopher Klassen. Um, so you'd have him and you'd have Robles, but I'd look to bring in someone that's you know good enough to start, ready to start. I think you'd want to bring in a centre-back. You've got Cock, you've got Wober. You'd move on from Cooper. I think you'd probably sell Lorente. Bring in one more. You've also got a couple of decent young centre-backs, I think, that are out on loan. Um, Charlie Cresswell is a good young centre-back. So I think you bring him back, you buy one more. I think you're good at centre-back. I'd play Streak at left-back. And you've also got Leo Yeld, who's there as well, who's a centre-back, can also play left-back. Um, so that's fine. Right-backs, you've got Christensen, you've got Cody Drama, you're set there. Uh, midfield, you're building it around Adams. I'd want to see a lot more from Darko Gabby. I'd be playing him regularly next season. Uh, some of the youngsters that are out on loan, Lewis Bates, I think is is worth a strong look next season. Uh, maybe you give Alfie McCalmond a run. Uh, maybe Stuart McKinstry gets a run. Um, Jack Jenkins is another young midfielder, academy grown, big, powerful player. You could give him some opportunities. So I don't necessarily think you need to do a whole lot in midfield. You've got a ton of wingers. So I think you're going to play in midfield too. Because you've got a ton of wingers in Sinistera, Somerville, Nanto, Aronson can play wide. You've got Ian Paveda, who you own, can play wide. Um, Archie Gray is another midfielder who should get some games next season. He's been knocking around the squad for long enough. He's only 17, it's worth pointing out, but he was on the bench two years ago. Um, so you've, you've got plenty of talent for your midfield five. I don't think you need to buy anybody. Aronson would be the one I'd look to play as the 10. I think he'd I think he'd excel there. And then you've got Nanto, Sinistera, Somerville, and a couple of the other youngsters that you can rotate in the in the wide places. And Ruter, of course. Ruter is also a naturally a wide player, could play in that 10 spot. He can play up front. You'd have Bamford, but I'd look to bring in a striker. I'd look to find someone that's going to be a reliable source of goals for me, or even just a reliable source of he'll actually be fit enough to play. So striker, centre-back, goalkeeper. 
that's what I would be looking to do at Leeds this summer. Now, in terms of manager, the odds, this isn't a pretty list. This isn't a pretty list at all. The bookies' favourite is Sam Allardyce, who should not be even considered. Joint favourite is Steven Gerrard, who should not be considered. Then Brendan Rodgers. Now, Rodgers in the championship would be interesting. And I think he would bring them up. And I think Leeds are a big enough club to maybe tempt him, but his ego probably will demand that he take a top-flight job. Uh, Lee Bowyer, I don't think, is a great manager at all. Um, I don't know that you'd get Carlos Corberon out of West Brom at this point. He just signed a new deal a few months ago. Graham Potter won't take the job. I don't know if Vieira would take it, but if he would, he'd be a decent fit. Costa Coglu won't take it. Tony Mowbray is a decent manager, but he does always seem to fall short. And Donny Iraola is there at 20 to 1. He is leaving Rio Vallecano this summer. He was their initial first choice when they were moving on from Jesse Marsh. Overpay for him. Go and overpay to get the guy that you initially said is the guy you want. The other thing Leeds need to do is appoint a sporting director. And that probably needs to happen first. Victor Orta did a mixed bag of a job. More bad than good. But go and get a sporting director. Then go and overpay for Iraola. He plays the 4-2-3-1. You've got the players to play that way. You don't need a whole lot. Goalkeeper, centre-back reliable striker. Just someone that will play regularly and get you some goals. Doesn't have to be a star. Doesn't have to be anything of that nature. Just somebody that you know, week in and week out, is going to be fit. Is going to be ready to play. Um, If I could give some advice on who I might look at for a striker... um, I'd be very tempted to look at Joel Perot of Swansea City, who's had two great seasons back-to-back, 22-45 and in 21-22, 19-43 this past season. I'd go and I'd look at him. He'd probably be top of my list. Uh, I quite like Tom Bradshaw of Millwall, but... Last season was a bit of a an outlier in his career in terms of the goals. Joel Perot is who I'd go for. I think he's the one that makes the most sense. I think he's gettable as well from their point of view. Uh, centre-back, again, you're just looking at someone reliable. You're not looking for necessarily a star. And then goalkeeper, again, it's just somebody reliable. Uh, maybe there's a goalkeeper that's at a Premier League club who is available on a loan that you could look to bring in, someone that's not getting first-team games, but that is going to be good enough to start every game in the Championship. Um, maybe you could go and speak to Le- to Preston and see if Freddie Woodman is available for sale. I mean... The one I'd actually go for, he's a little bit error-prone, but I do quite like him, is Martin Dubravka from Newcastle. He's 34, 
vastly experienced keeper. I wouldn't be against seeing if he's available. When's he at a contract? 2025. He'd have a year left after next season, so you could probably get him on loan. Dubravka would make sense to me. Um, as for Leicester, so yeah, Leeds, sporting director, Iriola, don't do anything stupid. Try and keep your best young players and just don't appoint Stephen Gerrard or Sam Allardyce or Lee Bowyer. Don't, don't do silly things. You want to be a Premier League club, appoint a manager who's going to be good enough to be a Premier League manager. Don't become Watford. Uh, Leicester City finished 18th. They had Brendan Rodgers as manager until the 2nd of April when he was finally sacked. Mike Stoll and Adam Sadler were interim managers or caretaker managers for about a week. And then Dean Smith took over. Um, Their season was a horror show, to be frank. It began with a 2-2 draw against Brentford in which they went 2-0 up at home and threw the game away. Then they played Arsenal and they got beaten 4-2. Then they played Southampton at home and lost 2-1, despite once again going ahead. Then they played Manchester City. No, sorry. Then they played Chelsea. uh, And Chelsea had a player sent off on 28 minutes and still managed to beat them 2-1. They lost 1-0 to to Manchester United. They lost 5-2 away to Brighton. They lost 6-2 away to... Tottenham and that was the worst seven game run anyone had ever had to start a Premier League season one point no hope goals going in left right and centre and not a great capacity to score them then they hammered Nottingham Forest 4-0 and we thought okay maybe Leicester are going to get going and then they lost 2-1 to Bournemouth in the next game they drew 0-0 with Crystal Palace they beat Leeds 2-0 they beat Wolves 4-0 then they lost to City, then they beat Everton and they beat West Ham. You thought, okay, now they found their form. Now they're going to be okay. Instead, they got walloped by Newcastle, beaten by Liverpool, beaten by Fulham, beaten by Nottingham Forest. They drew with Brighton. They beat Villa. They beat Spurs. And again, you thought, okay, right, all the messing is over now. Now they'll just work their way out of this mess and they'll end up, you know, 14th or somewhere. They'll move on from Rodgers in the summer. And it'll all be just a case of, you know, it just got stale. There was too many injuries and we didn't buy enough players, yada, yada. Um, Instead, they lost eight of their next nine. They lost to United. They lost to Arsenal. They lost to Southampton. They lost to Chelsea. They drew at Brentford. They lost to Palace. They lost to Villa. Lost to Bournemouth and lost to Man City. Rodgers had been given the heave-ho when Dean Smith had come in. They beat Wolves 2-1. They drew 1-1 with Leicester. They drew 2-2 with Everton. Then they got beaten 5-3 away to Fulham. They lost 3-0 at home to Liverpool in one of the most disgraceful displays I've ever seen. They drew 0-0 at Newcastle, where they had one shot in the entire game and played some of the most negative football you'd ever likely to see. And then they beat West Ham in the final game. They went out of the FA Cup in the fifth round. They went out of the League Cup in the quarterfinals. Uh, their summer business. They sold Wesley Fafana for big money and they 
let Casper Schmeichel go to Nice for a minimal fee. They brought in Woot Faze as the only summer signing other than Alex Smithies. Then in January, they brought in Victor Christensen, despite already having a good young left-back. They went and bought another one. Now, he's a better young, young left-back, but he's a, still a good young left-back. Uh, they brought in Nathan Apoku, who I don't have any idea who he is. And they signed Harry Suter, because having signed Yannick Vestergaard, a big, slow centre-back, what you want is another big, slow centre-back. They also loaned in Tete in January. Um... This relegation sits squarely on the shoulders of Brendan Rodgers, who overspent for a couple of years, forced this club to live beyond their means, and when the chickens came home to roost, had a big cry that he wasn't being given enough money to spend. He should have been sacked months before he actually got the got the heave-ho. They should have been more aggressive in trying to find a better replacement for him. But now they have to deal with relegation. They're probably the most talented team to get relegated, maybe. The Villa team that got relegated back in, what, 2016? There's a lot of talent in that group. They're the most expensively assembled team ever relegated. They've got the highest wage bill ever relegated. I believe they have the highest wage bill out of what's the traditional big six, outside of what what is the traditional big six, I should say. Um... But there's lots of talent in the squad. The problem is that most of this talent is going to leave. All of their goalkeepers are bad. All of them. Now, actually, I shouldn't say that. I have no idea if Jakob Stolosik is a good goalkeeper or not. 22-year-old Pole. No idea. Couldn't tell you. What I do know is that Danny Ward is a bad goalkeeper. What I do know is that Alex Smithies is a bad goalkeeper. And I've, what I've, from what I've seen... Daniel Everson's not a good goalkeeper either. I, I would look to sell Ward to anybody who'd take him. Everson has at least proven that he's a decent enough championship level keeper. But again, like Leeds, I'd probably look to bring in somebody on a loan if I could from the Premier League. James Justin will stay because he's working back from an Achilles tear. He will be your starting right back. Wood phase is going to have to be kept because all of your other centre-backs pretty much need to go. Sionchu is leaving on a free. Ryan Bertrand is leaving on a free. Johnny Evans' contract is up. I think you have to say goodbye. He's missed basically two seasons through injuries. Harry Suter, they only brought in in January. He'll stay, and he's good enough for the championship. Victor Christensen, you keep. He'll be your starting left-back. Um, Daniel Amarty, I, I think his contract is up as well. I would I would probably try and keep him for the championship season. Ricardo Pereira is on too big of money to come down. You've got, got to move him on. Vestergaard is garbage. You've got to move him on. Castanier, I think he I don't think he'll want to go down, so you'll you'll be losing him anyway. It's not a big blow, but he would have been a decent backup at fullback. And nothing more than that. Um, Young Lewis Brunt will be a backup centre-back and Luke Thomas can be your rotation left-back. Maybe. Maybe you could play a back three and play one of Christensen or Thomas as the left-sided centre-back. I don't know. 
In midfield, you're going to lose Harvey Barnes. He's too good to go down. Telemans is out of contract. All Brighton's got a year left. You probably just keep him because he's been there forever. James Madison is too good to go down. He's leaving. <coughs> Excuse me. Kieran Jewsbury Hall, I think, is too good to go down. But as with Tyler Adams at Leeds, I'd be begging him to stay. Because what else do you have here? Nepali's Mendy's out of contract. Will Fendidi, I think you have to sell him because he's out of contract in 12 months. The problem is he's so injury prone now that I don't know what figure you'd get. Dennis Pryad is out of contract. Hamza Chowdhury is out of contract. Tete is a loan that expires. And Bubakari Samari, you've got to beg him to stay. You've just got to beg him to stay. Hamza Chowdhury might be willing to sign on a new deal with Rogers gone. The fact that it's it's local club, he's an academy kid. So maybe you can keep him. And maybe, maybe, maybe you could convince Harvey Barnes to stay for the same reason. Because he's an academy youngster who's come through the club. Maybe you could convince them to stay and help you get back up. I doubt it with Barnes. Chowdhury, maybe. I think Vardy signed a new deal. I think. So you keep Vardy. Aosi Perez is at a contract, so he'll be leaving. Ian Atchell's got a year left. If he could be consistent, he'd be too good for the championship, but he's not consistent, so... Maybe he'll stay, but he's had a contract in a year. So is he just going to leave in a free next summer? You're better off getting a fee from you're already losing a bunch of players in a free because Rogers has done such a horrible job at managing this squad. And then you've got Pats and Daka, who I think you've just got to make your primary number nine next season and, and hope that the form he showed at Red Bull Salzburg was real and that you can replicate that in the championship. Um, they do have some youngsters out on loan. I, I don't know a whole lot about most of them, to be honest. They need a lot of surgery. They need a goalkeeper, a centre-back, a backup right-back. They're going to need two wingers. They're going to need at least two midfielders, starters, starters in midfield, at least. Uh, one, One definitely a starter. And one squad player would do. If you keep Samari and you keep Jewsbury Hall, they're good enough to be your starting double pivot. Um, I think of the relegated teams, I think they're in the worst shape because their wage bill is astronomical. They've got so many players running out of contracts that they'll get no money for. Players that they've invested quite a bit in. Like Priet and, and Perez, two Rogers' first signings, They're both out the door, and that's 30-odd million gone down the drain. Uh, Tielemans, they paid 30-odd million for him, gone on a free. No money to replace him. They're going to have to hit the loan market. That's the toughest job of the three. Southampton and Leeds have far more quality young talent that they can keep. They've also got far more sellable assets. Like, the only real sellable assets here, I mean, I, I just don't think Wood Faze brings in a big fee, and if he does, you have to replace him. You could maybe sell Christensen. You'll probably lose money on what you paid in January, though. There's Barnes and there's Madison, and that's basically it. And Didi, I think you'd have to catch a foolish club willing to spend big money on him with a year left with the injury problems. Maybe you're better off trying to keep him. You've got Barnes and Madison. 
to fund a rebuild. Barnes has two years left in his deal. Madison has, has only one year left. So you'll get a good fee for Barnes. I don't know if you'll get a great fee for Madison. You certainly won't get what he's worth. They have done a shocking job of managing their squad. Like that group of defenders. Woodface, Caglacionchu, Ryan Bertrand, Harry Souter, Yannick Vestergaard, Timothy Castanier. That's woeful. Sionchu is the only one that's been good for them at any point, and he's fallen off a cliff. Largely because of the management that he had, but like that's that's awful. Ricardo Pereira is a sellable asset, but he's 29, he'll be 30 in October, and he's had a torn Achilles and another raft of injuries. I just don't see who's going to A, make up the difference between championship money or Premier League money and championship money, and B, then fund the the rebuild. At least when I look at Leeds and Southampton, there's sellable assets there at both clubs. There's also a great young core that you can build around. It's it's going to be a grim, a grim time for Leicester. I don't think Leicester are coming back up straight away. And people will assume that they will because, oh, well, they won the Premier League. But, you know, like that's not necessarily a guarantee of much of anything. If we go back in time a little bit, and you look at, you know, t- take a look at Blackburn Rovers, who won the league in 94, uh, 94-95, and had, like, like Leicester, had wealthy owners. Now, Jack Walker wasn't hit by... Um, COVID and all of that, the way the, the owners of, of Leicester have been hit, but he had loads of money. They got relegated in 98-99 and it took them two years to come back up. And that was because Jack Walker was willing to fund it. And then he sold the club to the Venkies and the shit hit the fan. But yeah, I don't know that Leicester will come back up straight away. I really don't think they will. I don't think it's a case where they'll be down for four or five years. Like with Blackburn, I think it will be, you know, maybe two, maybe three years. But the championship is tough. Championship is very, very tough. Look at the teams that didn't come up this year. Middlesbrough, really good. Coventry, really good. Now, both of them will lose a couple of players. They've got good squads and they're well managed. Sunderland. Again, they're going to lose Diallo probably but uh, off because he's on loan, but they're well-managed. They've got a good squad. Blackburn, decent manager, decent squad. West Brom, well-managed. Like I think Norwich and Watford will be good value to bounce back up the top of the table next season. You've also got the other two teams that are going down, Leeds and Southampton, who, in my view, again, are better prepared to go down than you are. Less- Leeds and Southampton have always sort of had one eye on what happens if we go down? Because Leeds aren't in the division that long. And Saints have just sort of always had that approach of, you know, this is what we do. We we buy young players, we develop them, we sell them. We also buy young players to stockpile a few in case we go down and have to sell off some senior lads. Saints have been up and down a few times. 
Leicester, I don't think, had any expectation that they'd go down. I mean, why would they? They finished fifth two years in a row, then they won the FA Cup, then they finished eighth. Like, they just didn't have any expectation that they'd go down. But down they go. Now, obviously, these three clubs aren't the only clubs. Southampton, Leicester and Leeds aren't the only clubs in the league league who are looking for a new manager. Spurs are looking for a new manager and the odds to replace... I forgot who, who I almost forgot who'd left. It was Antonio Conte. He left that long ago. Ange Postacoglu is favourite. He has openly said he is not interested. Brendan Rogers is second. That would be if they appointed him, I, I would want to drug test people working at that club. Because the job he did at Leicester this season was a disgrace. He did a bad job last year as well. His European record is a joke. His eye for talent is shocking. Defensively, he's one of the worst coaches you'll ever see. He would be an appalling manager. He is the biggest factor in that relegation, yet he's walked away and Teflon Brendan doesn't seem to get any criticism from the mainstream media, largely because he feeds them stories. Um, and also, he, he does that as well, so they keep stories with him out of the press. But anyway, um, next up then is Julian Nagelsmann, who I think would be the right appointment for them. Then Luis Enrique, not a huge fan, but I could see why it would make sense. Thomas Tuchel's not leaving Bayern Munich to take that job. I think Graham Potter would be a mistake for them, all things considered. Uh, Luciano Spalletti is 12 to 1. He said he's taking a year off. Arnie Slot is 16 to 1. He said he's, he, he, uh, he has said he's staying with Fiorentina. Lopetegui, I mean, he's interesting. He's, he's a good manager. He's only been at Wolves a few months, though. I know there's some talk that he might leave because the FFP situation isn't great, but I don't know. I think he'll stay put. Uh, and Ruben Amaran, who after Nagelsmann will be my top choice for that job. Uh, then there's Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson is odds on to get that job, which would be a Poor decision. Graham Potter's favorite is second favorite, and Miguel Delaney has reported today that Palace are trying to get Graham Potter. Then it's Rogers. That wouldn't be as bad a move because that's the right level of club for him. Benitez, I don't think, would be a good appointment. Hasenhut would be interesting. Carrick would be very, very interesting. Hostacoglu is not taking that job. Nuno would be a bad appointment. Attilio Lombardo and Garrett Southgate, I assume, are only given odds because they're former players. Um, Potter would make sense. It would be interesting to see him go there, though, given he was at Brighton and Brighton and Palace are rivals. He's already unpopular with the Brighton fans, and this would just compound it. So it will be interesting to see how that one plays out. Uh, One bit of news. Jean-Philippe Gabamans, agent, has said he wants to leave Everton and end the nightmare of being linked to the club. Uh, he has played eight games for Everton since joining for £25 million in 2019. He has a year left on his, <coughs> on his contract, excuse me. And his agent, who's clearly a spoofer, says that there was interest from Liverpool, Arsenal and Tottenham, but he wants to go back to Germany. There was no interest from any of those clubs. Don't be telling yourself lies and don't be pe- telling your client lies. Uh, we'll finish off with today's gossip. Tottenham are determined to resist Manchester United's attempts to sign Harry Kane this summer with Daniel Levy 
unwilling to sell to a Premier League rival. There are growing reports that Real Madrid are interested. Benzema as the backup. Maybe Benzema would accept that. I don't know. I still think Bayern is the one that makes the most sense for Kane. Eric Ten Hag is confident he can persuade Mason Mount to join Manchester United. I don't know where he fits in that team, but, you know, it is what it is. Bayern Munich are prepared to sign Declan Rice. Sorry, prepared to pay $95 million to sign Declan Rice. I would not believe that for a second. But if they are willing to spend that type of money to buy a midfielder, they should just buy Moises Caicedo. Or they should just give that money to Spurs for, for Harry Kane, because that would make more sense. Uh, PSG are interested in a shock move in Martin Odegaard. Don't see that one happening. Uh, Tottenham, Newcastle and Arsenal are among the clubs interested in James Madison. My money's on he ends up at two. Crystal Palace have approached Graham Potter. Nice are also keen. Borussia Dortmund have completed, sorry, Brighton have completed the signing of Borussia Dortmund midfielder Mohamed Dahoud. Or Mahmoud. Mahmoud Dahoud. Yeah, Mahmoud Dahoud. I really like Dahoud. I think he's a good signing for them. Liverpool have rejected a permanent transfer offer from abroad for Fabio Carvalho and are only considering a loan. They're not. That is just the Athletic and its shoddy reporters. Uh, yeah, shoddy reporters, exactly. Um, making things up. David Lynch is more reliable than both of those journalists involved and he says that they will sell. He has no place in Jurgen Klopp's plans. Uh, West Hammer leading the race to sign James Ward-Prowse with Southampton valuing him at 40 million. Jesus wept. Uh, Newcastle are confident they can tie Bruno Gomerich down to a new contract at, uh, to avoid interest in Barcelona. Roberto Firmino is waiting to see where he would fit into Real Madrid's plans before making a decision on his future. Xavi says he's in talks with Lionel Messi over a sensational return to the new camp for the Argentine. It's not sensational. Everybody knows it's, it's been likely. Uh, Messi's father and agent, Jorge, has agreed a two-year deal with Saudi Arabian side Al-Halil worth 1.2 billion euro. That's 600 million euro a year. That's three times what Ronaldo was on. Oh, imagine the temper tantrum. It's bad enough that Cristiano butchered his team's hopes of winning the Saudi League. Now he'd be watching his greatest rival earn three times as much, largely because he's three times as good a player. Everton are stepping up their interest in Mali's 21-year-old El Balil Toure following his loan to Almeria's lineup on Sunday. He's a good player, to be fair. Chelsea have opened talks with Sporting over a move for Manuel Ugarte. I don't believe they have. Not yet, anyway. Uh, other midfield targets for Chelsea include Alexis McAllister and Moises Caicedo. They have no money. They have to sell players before they can do anything. Uh, Brendan Aronson has a relegation release clause and is expected to leave Leeds this summer. I don't know that he should be expected to leave. Crystal Palace are considering a loan move for Lewis Hall. Lewis Hall is a huge talent and a loan is exactly what he needs because he won't get the game time, I don't think, next season at Chelsea. I think the best role for him is going to be left-back. They've got Chilwell, they've got Kukurea. Maybe they loan one of those two out or sell one of them if they can. Kukurea would seem like the more logical one to sell. Um, But if they keep both of them, I think they should loan Lewis Hall out. And that's it. That's me for today, folks. Thank you as always. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Sports Social Podcast Network.